0: This episode was first posted April 19th, 2011. This is another of my favorite movies I've done for this podcast. Later on in the episode, I mention Vivian Lee's bipolar condition and Catherine Zeta-Jones' diagnosis, which was making news at the time. As I record this, Mariah Carey recently announced that she was diagnosed as bipolar more than a decade ago. To learn more about the condition, check the links on the blog, MoviesForTheBlind.com. This is Movies for the Blind. Episode 168, Dark Journey, Part 1 of 2.
1: I have a feeling I should be sorry for this.
0: Hello and welcome to Movies for the Blind, where you can enjoy films without looking at a screen. I'm Valerie Hunter. We begin a spy film which marks the first starring role for a British actress who would become best known for playing the world's most famous Southern belle. Vivian Leigh will probably always be known as Scarlett O'Hara in Gone with the Wind, the winner of a huge casting competition among the greatest actresses of the 1930s. But first, she had to get discovered in a play by British producer Alexander Korda, who put her together with Laurence Olivier in Fire Over England, where the two actors began a romance that would last two decades. When this film's director, Victor Savo, went to the U.S. to try casting Miriam Hopkins for the lead role and found she'd not be available, Corda let him know he had a suitable replacement. Lee was still learning the ropes of movies at this point, but maybe her best work here was in defying her age. Keep in mind that the mature, self-assured woman you'll be hearing was only 22 years old at the time. From 1937, this is dark journey alexander Corda presents a victor Saville production conrad veit and vivian lee in dark journey the film play by lahos bureau scenario and dialogue arthur wimperis photograph by george perenal and harry stradling Settings, Andre Andrijen. Music, Richard Adensel Musical director, Muir Matheson. Sound director, A.W. Watkins. Special effects, Ned Mann. Assisted by Eddie Cohen and Lawrence Butler. Costumes, Renee Hubert. Supervising editor, William Hornbeck. Technical advisor, L. Stackel. Sound recordist, Charles Testo. Cast, Von Marmitz. Conrad Veidt. Madeline, Vivian Lee. Lupita, Joan Gardner. Bob Carter, Anthony Bushel. Gertrude, Ursula Jeans. Colette, Rosemary Pickard. Anatole, Elliot Macum, Dr. Muller, Austin Trevor. Schaefer, Sam Livesey. Chief of German Intelligence, Edmund Willard. Head of Fifth Bureau, Charles Carson. Faber, Phil Ray. Swedish Magistrate, Henry Oscar. Cotton, Lawrence Hanray. Directed by Victor Saville. <laughs> Springtime, 1918. In open water, the periscope of a submarine cuts across the choppy surface. Below, an officer views through the periscope a passenger ship.
2: Dumpen 2 strich, steuerbauk
3: voraus! <laughs> Was für Dampfer? Schwedische Leute!
0: The officer steps away while two sailors run in, one to notify the rest of the crew and the other to make adjustments for the submarine to descend before slowly rising. On the bridge of the ship, two officers observe, with and without binoculars, as part of the German crew rushes to a large gun on top of the surfaced submarine. It's pointed toward the ship and fired. A shell lands not far away. Top engines. The mate makes the call to the engine room. Walking down a hall, a matron bangs on doors. All on deck with light All on deck with light All with Other crew members start to assemble as the submarine sits at a discreet distance from the ship. German sailors lower a dinghy into the water. The captain arrives up top, trading salutes with another officer, then climbs down to a lower deck nearer the dinghy, which two sailors prepare. Again sharing salutes, he hops down to the little boat. On the ship, sailors rush to open doors, allowing for crowds of bewildered passengers to file onto the deck, while others hurry down halls to catch up. The matrons try to gather them into some sort of organized group. The dinghy starts its journey from the submarine to the ship, where a passenger climbs from her bunk. A beautiful young woman. She pulls the straps of her life belt over her shoulders and reaches to close it in the back. Passengers continue down a hallway, and the young woman joins them with her coat over one shoulder. Following a few male passengers, one with a hat and mustache pauses at his doorway, then goes back in his cabin, where he lifts a pillow to find a document. Picking it up, he opens it. A passport for a man who looks somewhat like him. He compares the photo with his own image in a mirror, running a hand over his cheek. Arriving on deck, the young woman searches for a place to stand. He finds it in a line of people along a wall, where she pulls her coat more tightly around her. The dinghy reaches the ship, met by a sailor who helps the German captain step up onto a platform, followed by his two officers. They climb stairs as the ship's officers step down to the deck to meet them. They all salute.
3: Where did you leave the convoy? Bergen. Any contraband? No. All right. I'll see the cargo first, then I'll look at your passengers in their cabins. They can remove their life belts. Everybody to their cabins! Remove your life belts! Everybody to your cabins! Remove your life belts!
0: Soon after, the mustachioed man is questioned in his cabin.
3: When did you leave Holland? On the 14th.
0: The German captain removes the man's hat to find he has slightly more hair than the man in the passport photo.
3: You say you're a Dutchman. You have my passport? but this? This isn't genuine. Well, what, what do you mean? by all about you. You're not a Dutchman, you're a Belgian. And this is
0: your last trip. They both turned the doorway. Take him away. The German officers force him out at gunpoint. I tell you, I never a... He's carried down the hall, watched by the young woman in her doorway.
3: A neutral ship, and he's a Dutchman.
0: She goes inside.
3: You have no right to take a passenger off a neutral ship. Every right. The man is a spy.
0: The German captain enters her cabin. Your name? Madeline Goddard.
3: This lady's passport.
0: The ship's officer presents it.
3: Madeline Goddard, Swiss. In order. One, two, three, four, five.
0: He looks from the passport to her.
3: Why do you make so many trips between Stockholm and Paris? For business. How long has this business been going?
1: Three years, since January 1915.
3: What is the business?
0: Ladies' dresses. My new season's model. She nods across the cabin, and the German captain turns to a large trunk, which he opens. He pulls out a rack of dresses.
3: I suppose you might class this as ammunition for the Stockholm front.
0: Later, a map runs along the jagged shores of Sweden before reaching Stockholm. Small sailing ships float in one of its many harbors. The National Museum presides over the pleasant blasi Peninsula while sparse car traffic passes through a central city gate. Pedestrian traffic bustles through a downtown shopping area. Two stylish women step from a window display of a dress and cape to another window with a smart lady's suit and patterned scarf. Beneath another display is the name of the shop. Madeleine. Inside. A box reading Madeleine Europe in Mud is prepared by two assistants.
1: These are the loveliest things we've ever had in the shop. They're French. Paris. At least you can claim a success at something, something that even a
0: German brain can appreciate. Not as tied on her thumb.
1: Madame, am I to be insulted like this? Not even rice. Is it a crime to be German? It's worse. It's a vulgarity. Colette, I will not have this quarreling. I don't want French women here. Huh. Nor German women. I want saleswomen. Ring for Anatole.
0: A bell does ring, peered at by an older man with glasses, a mustache, and goatee. He finishes licking closed a hand rolled cigarette and walks on. Soon after, a card lies under a table. Madeline picks it up as the man approaches. Pussy.
1: Anatole, have you swept up this morning?
2: Assuredly, madam. Anatole? What can one do with a broom as bare as the behind of the burgomaster's baby?
1: Show it to me. A broom.
2: Madam.
1: And
0: take this box. We're going to the
1: Countess Lindestrand.
0: Anatole carries the box through a foyer, followed by Madeline, who hurries up a flight of stairs. A maid opens a door for her to enter a bedroom. My hat and cape, please, Maud. As she complies, Madeline gets a purse and gloves. Soon after, Anatole tears out stray straw from his stubby broom while Madeline returns dressed to go out.
1: You see, madam. Yes. I can see that it must have taken a lot of hard work to reduce it to this condition. Get your cap.
0: He does and takes the box as he follows Madeline, who holds the broom.
2: Perhaps I should render more satisfaction with a mechanical sweeper such as are used in the better shops.
0: She glances at him, then steps away. Later, at night, waves crash against the grounds of an estate. A car approaches the main building, which Madeline soon enters with Anatole
1: the for me? Will you go right in, please?
0: Thank you. Taking the box, she strides across a foyer and steps into a study, where a man gets up from a chair. As they go to a table, another man comes down some stairs. Good evening,
1: gentlemen. Some new models have arrived.
0: A third man puts a book back in a case and joins them at the table.
2: The latest Paris fashions? The latest French
1: designs.
0: She unties the string around the box, which the first two men help her open. She opens tissue wrapping and pulls out a diaphanous dress.
3: Charming. charming.
0: Very nice. She holds it up to herself as the first man steps away. Then she approaches a floor lamp and studies the dress under it. She pulls it up over the lampshade, which has map patterns on it. And as the third man sits, she positions decorations on the dress to line up with the map. Eight. The second man writes. Eight. Twenty-seven. Twenty-seven.
2: Sixty-three.
1: Sixty-three. West Verdun. West Verdun.
2: Seventy-one. Seventy-one. Eighty-three. Eighty-three.
1: Ninety-one.
2: Ninety-one.
1: West of Chateau Thierry.
2: To West of Chateau Thierry. Have you got it? Madeline, what was that last number?
0: Ninety-one.
2: Ninety-one.
0: He tears off the paper and hands it to the third man.
3: Good. Disposition of the 3rd and 4th French Army Group.
0: He hands it to the first man.
3: Send it off.
1: Navy blue, picked out with stars and finished off with stripes.
4: American troop transport.
0: As she shows off more dresses, the first man goes upstairs to a dark bedroom. He bends down to a small bed and pulls out from under it a large case. Lifting it up, he sets it down and opens it. He takes out a false bottom, pulls out a piece of wood, then two flat connected planks, which he stands on either side of the front lip of the case, which he then closes. He turns on a light to show extending from the standing planks the thin dark Y shape casting a shadow on a screen before it. Then he pulls open a shade on a large window. A boat floats alone on the dark sea. Watching with binoculars, A sailor swings a lantern as two others hurry out to join him. They signal to the shore. One of the other sailors looks through a stronger standing telescope. It focuses on the window, with the two arms of the Y-shape move around like the hands of a clock being set. The first man moves them from behind with a crank and pulley system. The other sailor transmits a message, while back in the study...
4: Very good, Madeleine. Anything else?
0: My bill. She hands the third man a sheet of paper, which he unfolds. Mmm.
2: Madeline, you're a very charming young woman, but you're a very expensive luxury.
1: Charming young women are. And they give you something you can't get from anyone else. Oh, if it were only for me, I wouldn't cavil. Ah, Major, if it were only for you, I wouldn't charge. But I'm responsible to headquarters.
0: She closes the box.
1: And I'm responsible to my partners in Paris
2: who are risking their lives and mine. All right, I'll send the check.
0: The second man enters the room where the hands are still turning in precise patterns. While on the boat, one sailor keeps relating the information to the other. He sends the telegraph messages. A map shows the message's trajectory from Stockholm across the Baltic Sea to Berlin where a file reads Section 8 German Secret Service. It's opened by an officer in a meeting room.
3: Who's next? Sergeant
0: Several others work with him.
3: Philip Dupre, Sergeant, 149th Regiment of the Line. For examination. Have him in.
0: In full uniform and helmet, a man is escorted by three soldiers along a landing to double doors. Met by an officer who gestures for him to join him in the meeting room. All right, the officer closes the doors. Oh, but- the soldiers stand down. Inside,
3: hello. How are you, my dear
2: Muller? Very glad to be back, General.
0: In handcuffs, so. Muller sits.
2: Well, what news? I got seven days' leave in Paris. Good. And then? That's all.
3: Well, where were K one, two, four, and five? I wish I knew. I have a strong notion that I was under observation myself.
2: Our system needs drastic reorganization, especially in the neutral countries. Sessa, you take over Copenhagen. And understand
3: this you'll be judged by results. And for Stockholm, we need the best man we've got in
2: Section 8.
0: Muller nods. That's so. Later at a port of entry.
2: Dr. Muller, you are a physician, yes? You've come to Sweden for the German medical service to look after our prisoners returning from Russia. You signed an undertaking at our consulate in Berlin to refrain from any political activity. Certainly. It's my duty to remind you of that undertaking. And welcome to Sweden. Thank you. Good morning.
0: A man with a monocle is next.
2: Baron Karl Marwitz from Hohenhau in Württemberg, landowner, captain in the German Navy.
3: Mm-hmm. Yes, von Marwitz.
2: Political undertaking signed. You're welcome in Sweden, but only so long as you refrain from any political activity.
3: <laughs> I came to Sweden because I want to refrain from any political activity.
2: You're on sick leave? Yes. Wounded? Twice. Your leave expires in two weeks.
3: I'm not going back.
2: How long have you the means to support yourself here? Oh, uh, 16 years. 20, I'm careful. This is a very serious matter, Baron Marvitz. Very. If you would just look at these.
0: He hands him a folded paper, which the passport inspector studies. Slowly folding it again, he returns it to the Baron.
2: You can stay in Sweden as long as you respect our laws.
0: He stamps the passport and returns it.
2: Thanks, please. Thank you. The Baron
0: steps away, to where Muller is retrieving a briefcase and coat, He steps past the Baron, who opens his suitcase.
1: Watches, clocks, toys,
2: cigarettes, liquor? Anything to declare? Only my intention to finish this.
0: He holds up a small flask, which he opens. Later at a nightclub, cocktails are drunk by women sitting with the Baron as he wipes lipstick from his mouth.
4: Can you tell us what a Russian girl would say if you kissed her? Or a Dutch girl? Of course. Oh, that's too easy. Tell us what a Brazilian girl would say. Certainly. Ah, that's where we've got you. Why?
0: Meanwhile, outside the shop, Madeline peers down from a window on a man waiting on the sidewalk.
1: Shall I come up? No, Bob,
0: I'll be down in a minute. Closing the window, she turns to the third man in Muller. My British evening is called for. Then don't miss a moment on it. Goodbye. She leaves them. Muller approaches the window and watches.
3: a girl, that. Probably our best worker.
0: She goes into a car with Bob. Yes. She has an innocent
3: face.
2: <laughs> That's the key of her success.
0: The men get their hats.
2: How long has she been with us? Three years. Did you double checked her story? Naturally. She comes from a lawyer. Father's property destroyed to make defense fortifications on the Swiss Italian border. A volunteer? Not exactly. I was responsible.
0: Later at the nightclub. There you are. (laughs) More women and a few men gather around the Baron.
3: Oh, he's doing it
4: again. What? Writing down what a girl would say when he's kissed her. A
0: A sleek beauty is led to the table. She looks down at the Baron.
4: Oh, come on, it's only a game. He stands. With a shrug. She
0: steps up to him. And they kiss. She slips her arms around his shoulders, and he holds her as well. They part.
4: Not bad, but you need practice. There you are.
0: He hands a note to the crowd while she smokes.
1: Short of practice. You, Peter, Baron Marvin. Goodbye,
0: Baron. Be Madeline and Bob arrive in another part of the huge, elegant club marked by tall columns. They walk past the many tables with couples on the dance floor some distance away. They meet a party of two men and one woman and sit at their table. Another man joins them.
3: Well, Bill, what are you laughing (laughs) at? Well, the bloke in the bar just pulled the most amazing stunt. What was
2: it? He writes down in advance what any girl will say after he kisses her. Does he get it right every time? Oh, Yes. How on earth could he do that?
1: Well, there are probably only about a half a dozen things a girl of that kind will say.
2: Yes, but how does he get the right one?
1: I imagine he writes them all down on slips of paper. and fills his pockets before he comes out.
0: At a nearby table, Lupita overhears and sees. She gets up and leaves the room.
1: One, two, three,
0: Entering the lounge, she strides to the bar, where the Baron holds court. She pulls him away <laughs> Liar. and pulls notes from his pockets.
4: Stop. Lots of cheat.
3: Here's
1: another one. Give it to me. What, you can you can your pizza, huh? what do you charge for lessons? More, please. You've done this before. I wish you'd teach my husband. What have you to say?
0: He chews gum. It us Bob escorts Madeline to the dance floor. And they dance. On the edge of the floor, the Baron holds Lupita.
3: How did you find me out?
1: It was Madeleine.
3: Madeleine? Who's Madeleine? One of your cards?
1: Oh, no. She's a shock. very chic. She looks around. Look well, there she is, dancing with the English boy. With Bob.
3: This is one of the times I'm sorry I left that arm in France.
1: You're doing pretty well with the one you've got. Oh,
4: that's Madeleine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Later, a new vacuum cleaner is pushed around the shop by Anatole. In the way of Gertrude... Was I engaged as an engine
2: driver? No. Do I get an engine driver's wages? <laughs> Assuredly not.
1: Come along, clumsy. Who are you to
2: give me orders?
1: She can't help it, Anatole. It's her German blood. I happen to be Viennese. Same thing in Wolfstein. Sauerkraut. Frogs pond, Gertrude, come it. I will not have my shop turned into a bear garden. I'm sick of the French and I never want to see a German again.
0: We might better go. They spot the Baron and Lupita entering.
1: Oh, no, please come in. I was only trying to prevent my shop being turned into a battlefield. What can I show you? Oh, just the bag. Gertrude, show Madame a bag, will you? As Madeline walks away, what kind of a bag?
0: The Baron watches her. An
1: evening bag. That'll do,
0: Anatole. She goes into a back room while Gertrude takes a beaded white bag from a stand and hands it to Lupita. How about this, Madame? It's one of the nicest we have in the shop. Carl, do you like this? Charming. In the back room, Madeline pauses, considering, then sits at a desk. Anatole carries the vacuum into a side room and sets it down.
2: Lie there, you roaring
0: beast. Making notes of fabric samples, Madeline overhears.
1: That's the dress, the shoes, stockings, hair ornament, and the bag. They match the bag beautifully, Madame. Dress, shoes, stockings, hair ornament, and the bag. This way to our fitting room, please.
0: Gertrude leads Lapita to the fitting room as Colette heads for the back room, leaving the Baron on a sofa. Colette hands the order to Madeline and nods toward him. She smiles a little and the Baron smiles more at the backroom entrance.
3: You have marvelous saleswomen, hmm?
1: They do their best.
3: We are better than that. at least. The girl comes in for a bag and goes out with the whole shop.
0: A girl who goes out shopping with a man means to have the whole shop.
3: Uh-huh. How much do I owe you?
0: As he sits, she stands and gets some papers. Smoking, he watches her sit again.
3: By the way, why did you give away my little trick last night?
1: Because you came to know such a lot about women. Do you?
3: Enough to realize I know nothing about them.
1: Which means that you've had a lot of experience.
3: Oh, a lot. But what does it amount to?
1: 1,275
0: crones. She hands him the bill. (laughs) In the fitting room.
1: I brought you a very good customer today. He doesn't care how he spends his money. Oh, one has only to look at madame to see that.
0: (laughs) Pulling on stockings in her lingerie, Lupita looks at Gertrude and frowns. Leaving the back room.
3: You won't give away my next trick so easily, I promise you.
0: Send the things to the Grand Hotel at once, please. Certainly, madam. Fully dressed, Lupita walks to the front door.
3: Au
2: revoir, Madeline.
0: He kisses her hand. Carl, I
1: have bought everything I want. Have you?
0: He glances from Madeline to Lupita, whom he follows to the door and out. Madeline looks down, smirks, and walks on. Outside, a car pulls up to Carl and Lupita.
1: And shut up! You cannot teach me manners!
3: I am afraid you are right.
0: Later at the club, a sign announces a concert for the Sweden Red Cross Society. In the main room, a violinist and harpist play for hundreds of patrons. My father was a Brazilian general. Many look behind them at Lupita sitting at the back with Carl. You don't believe that, I suppose. Do I do I do? Oh, no, you don't. You think I'm lying. An usher approaches. Will you please convince the lady outside? Carl complies. <laughs> In the next room.
1: Go on, call me a liar. Go on, say it. The All right? Get out. Go to your shopkeeper.
0: That's
3: the first sensible thing you've said.
0: Later at the shop.
3: May I tell you how very sorry I am for what happened today?
1: Oh, don't apologize. We keep a shop, and it's open to everyone.
0: Plain women or dazzling beauties. They stand, and she holds out her hand to shake. He does. Goodbye. Goodbye. Crossing the back room. He turns back.
3: And if you could ever take pity on a lonely man, (laughs) don't laugh at me.
0: He approaches her again.
3: Dying at me.
1: I'm sorry. I can't.
3: You would be doing a great kindness.
0: She shakes her head.
3: I live in a desert.
0: Packed with dazzling beauties. Excuse me. She answers her phone. Hello?
1: Is that you, Bob? Tonight at 7.30. At the Grand?
0: Carl covers the mouthpiece. No pity. I'm sorry. She moves him away. All
1: right, Bob, at 7.30.
0: All right, Madeline, you're an angel. Bob hangs up.
2: What do you think? I don't know. She's from Maloya. Her father's farm was destroyed to make way for Swiss frontier defenses. I'll double check all that when I get to London.
0: He stands, his left sleeve hanging loose. She's a sweet thing, and I hate to suspect her.
2: But she's got a lot of German friends.
3: She's got a lot of French friends, one or two English friends.
2: Yes, I know. That's what's got me guessing. See what you can find out at the cherry orchard.
0: Later in the side room, Anatole pauses from licking closed the cigarette, then gets up and steps to a wall frame where he plucks folded papers from behind it. Then he goes to Madeline.
1: Anatole, how much longer am I to wait?
0: He raises his eyebrows at her.
1: What do you know about it?
0: Unfolding the papers, he hands them to her and she reads. Carl
1: oh, Marcus, treated with a fatherland, deserter. her. North marshal during absence cashiered. She says. sentenced to death. Okay. Doesn't look that type.
2: What makes you think so? Instinct? Feminine instinct? Professional.
0: What do they think of the cherry orchard?
1: I haven't inquired.
0: Will you? A glass etching of cherry blossom trees mark a mirror of the cherry orchard. through windows marked with etchings of bouquets, Anatole opens a door and looks around. He walks into a smoky, dark club, where scantily clad dancing girls high kick on a stage, and bottles of wine are carried and poured for the patrons.
4: At one table,
0: a man touches a cigarette with a woman's to light it. She ruffles his hair and steps away with a smile as he talks with another man.
4: Anatole walks
0: past the table to another one where he sits by a balding man who reads a newspaper. Glancing at Anatole, he folds up his paper and puts it aside. Anatole looks at some papers as the man drinks some beer, then pulls out a tobacco pouch. Opening it, he searches his pockets. Anatole gets a rolling paper from a pack. The man takes it and opens the pouch again. Then starts rolling a cigarette.
4: Silly. Fine. You know
0: anything about an He shakes his head while licking it closed. A man in a hat and jacket stands in the wings watching the girls. They hurry off past him and up some stairs. The last of them stops to tie her shoe, and the man bends down to her.
3: What do they say about the Swiss girl?
0: Plenty.
4: It'll cost you 50.
0: Later, near a dock, a clerk signs for a box from Madeline's shop.
3: Page. <coughs> That's the Baron Marvitz room. In that room? Here it is, again.
0: Turning from a stack of boxes, a valet opens it on a table as the delivery boy watches. The valet picks up a dress than another.
1: What's happened to
3: the Baron? Hmm. You may well ask. I've never seen such a change.
0: How do you mean? Change.
2: Change of habit, that's what I mean.
0: He hangs them with many others.
2: It used to be all girls with no clothes. Now it's all clothes with no girls. Pity.
0: At the shop, Gertrude brings Carl another dress. Nice. She and Colette take a black one from the trunk.
3: Oh, I'll have this one for my collection.
1: You can't. Oh, no, they've just arrived from Paris, and, madame, I want to show them to our best customer. I am your best
3: customer.
1: Oh, no, you're not. Now it then, doesn't. will you pack this one? This one, and this one for the Countess Lindstrom. Yes, madame.
0: Gertrude and Colette leave. As Madeline moves another dress.
3: What's left for me?
1: Everything else in the shop.
3: All right. Pack it up.
1: Carl. This nonsense must stop. Buying things you don't want, just makes an excuse to
0: come here.
3: You won't come out with I me. I won't
0: tell th- you anything else. She walks away to another trunk, which she bends down to, making notes on a paper.
3: That means you forbid me to come here.
0: Precisely. All right,
3: Merlin. I lose.
0: She looks up at him. No, Carl. You win. He starts to smile.
4: Tonight?
1: All right.
0: And helps her up.
1: I've a feeling I should be sorry for this.
0: Colette returns.
1: Colette, tell her Hotel I'm ready. Will you? Yes, madam. In the side room.
2: You're a shrewd one. No.
1: I don't claim to be any cleverer than the next man. And the next
2: man's always a bigger fool than I am.
1: Now then, Burns, you've got to go out with these frocks.
2: Frocks? What do I want frocks for? Big Leaf was good enough for Eve, and she was the first lady in the land. Mm-hmm.
1: In the shop? Gertrude, I've forbidden the baron to buy another thing. So mind your firm with him. Goodbye.
0: Goodbye. Madeline leaves.
1: I knew she'd put a stop to this one day.
0: Well, no lady would ever accept presents from a man anyhow. Of course not. He holds out small boxes to them. Oh, my favorite sense. Well, every woman has her price.
3: And what might that
0: be? Gertrude takes a ring from her right hand and puts it on her left.
3: This is an expensive shop. <laughs>
0: Three, four. In the estate study, Madeleine deciphers a pattern on the black dress.
1: Eight, seven.
0: Eight, seven.
1: Four two. Two.
0: four, two. Four, two. The first man translates.
2: Probable date of offensive, 20th. Tanks to be used on a large scale. General light of attack, northwest marm salient. Excellent, Madeleine, excellent. Headquarters have been clamoring for news use of the counteroffensive, and we're the first to give it. For immediate dispatch,
3: sir. Market it urgent.
0: The second man hurries off.
4: Madeleine,
3: I'm proud of you.
0: Soon after, the hands are turned through the window.
2: Have you got a jet? Finishing now.
0: The third man looks out through binoculars. On the boat, the communication is received and telegraph messages are sent. Later, a phone call is made from Berlin.
3: We are all lines to general headquarters.
0: In the strategy room.
2: 15th Army Corps to entry tonight. To to reserve.
0: Later, a line of men each type at a ticker tape machine, sending out orders to the front. Another line of men sends out telegraph messages. Troops march forward. And an officer talks on a radio in his tent.
3: Anti-tank guns in position by six o'clock. Anti-tank
2: guns in position by six o'clock. Mine to be exploded by officer commanding company one. Mine to be exploded by officer commanding company one.
0: The German flag flies and troops march on. In a trench, men stand waiting. Smoke drifts over the front. An officer counts he turns to a soldier who pushes a plunger. (laughs) At night, on a harborside terrace, Carl and Madeline look down over a railing, listening. A group of sailors sing as they sit around a large dinner table being served by two waitresses. Madeline and Carl look at each other and smile a little, then turn again to the sailors. Behind them, a waitress finishes setting a small table, and a waiter approaches Carl, Who nods. The waiter steps away, and Carl takes Madeline's arm, helping her down from sitting on the railing. He escorts her to the table. She sits. And so does he. Meanwhile, at a train station tea counter, the man who was with Anatole in the side room sets down a coin. Outside, Bob steps off a train, and around a porter. He approaches the counter as the man pours milk in his coffee.
3: Coffee, please. You've got a successful rival. Oh? Bob pays. The
0: gallant baron. He accepts his coffee.
3: Is that all? That's all. What did you find out in London? Bob drinks. Nothing
1: definite.
0: The man munches on a roll.
1: but I've got a call to make.
0: Soon after, Bob walks through the open doors of an apartment building and climbs the stairs. Glancing over his shoulder, he pauses and notices the nearby shop doors ajar. He steps through them and looks around the darkened shop. He crosses toward the back room where he opens the curtains and finds Anatole on the floor. Bob bends down to him and feels for a pulse. Anatole, without facial hair, stares up blankly. Bob listens for a heartbeat. He reaches for a phone on the floor and puts the receiver back in its cradle. Then he cranks it to make a call.
2: Hello? Hello? Give me the police.
0: At the terrace table, Carl watches Madeline stare into space holding a wine goblet. He holds up his own, getting her attention. And drinks from it deeply.
3: Are you still sorry you came out with me that first evening?
1: Yes. He pours coffee. That's why I've been out with you thirteen evenings since.
3: (laughs) And you've discovered all the secrets of my dark soul. For
0: Jupiter. He adds sugar as she stares into the glass.
3: Go on, tell me I'll there.
0: She turns to him. It is
1: easy to touch your pocket, but difficult to touch your heart. She sets the goblet down. Manners, good. Milk? Thank you, Blake. Intentions lamentable.
4: How true?
1: When you're with one woman, you're thinking of the next. You've never been simple, sincere, loyal, or faithful to any woman in your life.
0: She bolts from the table. He follows her to the railing.
3: Isn't
1: that enough?
3: You've forgotten my most important asset.
0: She turns to me. What's that? That you love me. She turns away.
3: Why are you trying to resist? You won't succeed.
0: How do you know I won't?
3: Because I tried. But I couldn't. I want to take you away. Away from your friends, your business. No time for anyone but me.
1: you want to take everything
3: and give everything.
0: He touches her hair
3: and share everything
0: She looks at him again.
3: Mustn't you if you marry?
0: She walks away back to the table and sits. as he follows, police officers approach.
3: Medley you're wanted at police headquarters.
0: She stands. What impact will Anatole's death and the Baron's love have on Madeleine's work? Find out in the conclusion of Dark Journey next time on Movies for the Blind. As early as Fire Over England, made just before this film, Vivian Lee had started to gain a reputation for being difficult to work with, having quick and violent mood swings. Her temperament would serve her well when injected in the role of Scarlett, but made her work life and personal life a tough one. In fact, she was dealing with what is now known as a bipolar disorder at a time when it wasn't really properly understood. Recently, another movie star from the UK known for similar beauty, the Welsh Catherine Zeta-Jones, went into treatment briefly for her own bipolar condition, fortunately with more knowledge and help at her disposal than Lee had in her day. For more information and links about the movies, about description, and how to subscribe, go to the blog, moviesfortheblind.com, where you can also find out about this podcast's Creative Commons license. And the movies are from the Internet Archive, so please support universal access to human knowledge by visiting and donating at archive.org. Thank you for downloading and for listening. Be back next week. Take care.